Hey, it's Mark Shifley here. You're listening to the Jet Centric Podcast. Hey there, Jets fans. Welcome back to the Jet Centric Podcast. My name is AJ, one of your hosts, and this is episode 88. We are not, in fact, interviewing Eric Lindros. 88 would have made sense, but we have an interview with Sean Burke. Uh, a man who's worn many hats in the NHL. Uh, I'll get to talk about that in a second. But before I do, the last time we had an episode, we ended with the anthem from the St. Louis series. That was 47 days ago since we last recorded or posted anything, a month and a half ago. And this is our ninth episode since uh, hockey ended March 15th, 14th, 17th, somewhere around there. So it's crazy that we've done nine episodes and we also took a month and a half off in the midst of that. So anyhow, I just thought that was kind of uh, kind of funny. Uh, a couple things going to get to. We're planning on doing about two more episodes before hockey starts up again with a couple of guests. Uh, I want to say hello to Jimmy, our biggest fan. Um, don't bother going to Bell MTS Iceplex to watch the players play because you won't be allowed in. I tried. Uh, on your behalf so I'm letting you know don't bother going uh, the windows are even boarded up if you do get in the building so you won't be able to see nothing um, the Jets I guess they sent out an email telling fans to send videos of them chanting go Jets go so I guess they're doing a big thing for to show support for the team while they're not playing you know in Bell MTS in front of a bunch of fans so I'm sure that's on their website that's something you're interested in I uh, wanted to also make mention that we had our two-year anniversary we didn't have an episode on it but uh, our anniversary is around June 30th to July 2nd from when we started two years ago uh, when we recorded the first episode to posted it so it's somewhere in there so uh, yay to us two years it's been so I'm really proud of the work that we've done the amazing guests that we had um, the hard work that uh, myself and the other people involved have, have put into this and you know some of the credibility that we've got you know kind of doing it that we, we we've shown that we can kind of stick with it and uh thanks to all of you that listen make sure you go tell more friends and family to check us out check out some of our old episodes even during the lockdown we had marat on and sean mckindo and dave starman and uh cat uh, silverman so we, anyhow, we had a bunch of guests uh, during the lockdown, also before that too. So you should go check out some of our old episodes. Uh, tell more people about us. We'd love to expand our our reach, especially now that hockey's getting getting going again. Also, if you haven't checked out our Twitter or Facebook, uh, Richard, the guy that does our logo, has posted a bunch of really cool uh, Michael Jordan one shoes. It was from a, a contest where I'm not going to get into it, but some really cool designs if you want to see that. Plus. Uh, I've been keeping up on all the people doing concept jerseys. So kind of some cool stuff, I think, on our Twitter if you go back and, and check it out. So make sure you give us a follow there. We are on Facebook. Tell everyone else about us. Go on iTunes and rank us. I'm not sure if you can on Spotify, but whatever. The more follows, more word of mouth, the, the better. We're going to try and get back at it with the, with the hockey starting up. So uh, yeah, I think that's about it. Anyhow, let's get to the episode. So Sean Burke, awesome guy. He's really great to, to chat with uh, Chris. Did the chat with him ryan was involved with it too ryan did a great job of editing because we did have some technical difficulties but uh he zinged through that and did a really good job so you probably won't even notice except there's a bit of a robot sounding voice for sean at certain points near the end but uh we had to cut out a bit and splice a bit and uh, i think for the most part you won't be able to tell so thanks to ryan who did a great job with that and thanks to sean burke who proved that he's just a really awesome guy. I, I, I listened to it and I just felt really hopeful about about hockey in general. Someone who's been through multiple eras, multiple jobs, and just yeah, just kind of seeing a side of it that just made me not think about the business side that can kind of feel a little bit yucky sometimes, or like a player's character, or you know when you have frustrations with a team or whatever it is. 
uh, yeah, he just kind of puts things in perspective. They talk about a bunch of different things in his career. And uh, yeah, it was really great for him to give us the time. So anyhow, without further ado, four minutes into an intro, uh, let's get to it. Sean Burke and Chris uh, having a little interview about a half an hour long. So hopefully you enjoy it and come back soon because we're going to have more stuff and tell a lot of people about us. So here we go. Here it is. Hey guys, welcome back to Jet Centric Podcast. It's Chris. I'm here. I could do a huge intro because this guest has one of the longest bios you could have as far as hockey goes, but he really needs no introduction. Sean Burke, world junior, Olympic medalist, long career NHL player, and now he's in upper management. Uh, Sean Burke, welcome. Thanks, guys. Happy to be here. Right on. So I wanted to start with something I... I remember sort of you coming into the league. You were, I, would I call you a blue chip prospect? How did that uh, happen as being well-touted, uh, 24th overall draft pick? How does, that, how does that happen when you're a youngster and, and have all that stuff, uh, pressure, I guess you could say? Yeah, I don't know if I would be considered blue chip. I mean, obviously, um, you know, I was a good prospect. I, I was the first goaltender to go in that draft. Uh, but you also had Mike Richter in that draft. I believe you had Kay Whitmore. You had some other guys who played in the NHL. So it was a good draft for goalies. Um, you know, I was playing junior in Toronto, a pre- pretty high-profile place to play with the Marlies, a lot of scouts. So, I, you know, I, I think I, I was a guy that was considered a possible first-rounder. Obviously, today I would have been a first-rounder. There was only 21 teams in. So I, <laughs> uh, I went early in the second round. But um, – you know, it was uh, it was a case of uh, especially. I think it's it's still that way to today, uh, but more so back then. Until the first goalie was taken, nobody seemed to take a goalie, and then boom, they all seemed to go. At the, I think I went. Mike Richter went the very next pick. I want to say Troy Gamble went right away after that, and maybe it was Kay Whitmore went a couple picks after that. So it's it's always kind of been that way, where goalies seem to go in bunches. But, uh, you know, then you've seen some first-rounders as well in the, in the last number of years. But I was a good prospect. I'm not sure I was considered a blue-chip prospect. But you played World Juniors the year before, and then you played in the Olympics afterwards, right? So, I mean, you had all sorts of international Team Canada stuff happening at that same time too, right? So that that's, means you, you had, you're on the map for sure. Yeah, well, I played World Junior, um, and I didn't play a lot. Uh, Craig Billington actually had played on the team the year before. And they won the gold medal. He, he came back. So I was, I was partnered with Biller. Uh, I played a couple games in the tournament, but uh, he, he played the, uh, the bigger games. And, and then the Olympics were after I was drafted. That's how I ended up in the Olympics. Right. I actually got drafted by Jersey. And then uh, Max McNabb, who was the general manager at the time, thought that it would be a better idea for me to go and play in the Olympics than it would be to go back to junior for a third year. So I had the opportunity to do that. And I was really lucky that there was there was a lot of foresight with that Jersey management at the time to not rush a young guy in and uh, and give me an opportunity to develop, which was really good for me long term. And then, of course, you got to play in the Olympics in Canada. That must be I mean, it's got to be up there as far as experiences go. It was a great experience. Unfortunately, I was probably too young and too nervous to really take it all in. I, I didn't um, I didn't enjoy it from a standpoint like I did in 92 where then I had some experience and I went and watched other events. I got behind some of the other athletes in 88. I was pretty focused, just worrying about getting through it myself, uh, playing the best I could play. And uh, we, we came up 
slightly short of a medal. We ended up in fourth. Uh, we had a little bit of a tough break. We needed, I can't remember exactly the game it was. We needed somebody to beat another team that they should have won and they, they didn't. So it cost us a medal, but uh, that team played hard at the 88 Olympics. And I, and I felt like we, uh, with all the pressure that was on the guys, I felt we played well in front of our home fans. Yeah, I, I don't remember those. The Olympics were a little bit different in 88, uh, 92, and then now uh, compared to how they are now. Um, and obviously, we'll talk about the, the new Olympics in, in a little bit as we kind of go along here, because uh, you had a big hand in that. Um, then so you, you went to Jersey and I read yesterday you played in the game, um, the, the play in, not the playing game, but the game if you win, you're in game. Is that right? No, well, you know what? I played. Uh, it's funny when when I broke in with Jersey. We, yeah, the play-in game. I guess you would call it that. I, I look at it differently because we were just sort of every game was a play-in game. We couldn't right. couldn't lose down the stretch, or we wouldn't have made the playoffs. And I think we ended up going ten and two, or eleven and one, or something down the stretch to get into the playoffs on the last day in Chicago in overtime. Right. John yeah. McClain scored a big goal. Um, but, uh, yeah, I apologize for that because I've never looked at that really as the play-in game. Every game down the stretch was was basically do or die for us, and it really helped us. Um, we went into the playoffs playing, uh, you know, big games right through to getting to that point, and it didn't seem much different once the playoffs started. So I think our team was was really battle-tested and ready to go. Yeah, that's a, that's a big part of it, right, because you're playing that type of hockey. Usually the hot team uh, down the stretch makes a good run. I kind of want to jump ahead because you had, this is how I see it. You kind of had a, a really huge start to your career. And then in the, in the nineties, there was a little bit of up and down. And I just want to jump ahead because um, obviously there's a connection to Winnipeg um, to what happened when you went to Phoenix, because it seemed like a huge change for everybody. Right. When, in, when you got there and I know you had uh, Benoit Allaire as the goal coach. And I wonder if you could talk about a little bit of what happened as far as if your game style changed, as well as what it was like to be in Phoenix uh, and have sort of maybe a resurgence. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it was definitely uh, a resurgence. I, you know, I ended up playing uh, in the All-Star game in, I think, 2000 or uh, 2001, uh, and I played in two in a row. And that was 10, 10 years between All-Star games for me. And uh you know, so that's, it's pretty obvious uh, that I had a, about a 10 year period there where I was up and down. I, I played well in Hartford at times, but I, I also struggled. Uh, you know, I, I, I lost a little bit of my confidence. I lost sort of um, an understanding of how I wanted to play. And when I got to uh, Arizona, it was, it was refreshing. It was, it was the right time for me to get to somewhere that they had a goaltending coach like Benny who um, understood not only my game, but he understood that, you know, there were some things I needed to do just consistently if I was going to be a better player. And he had a faith in me that, that actually made me feel like I don't want to let him down. So I, uh, I really enjoyed my time there in Arizona. I really enjoyed working with Benny and uh, you know, he's got a track record that speaks for itself. He's gone on and worked with a lot of guys uh, had been very successful and I give him a lot of credit, not only for some of the success I had as a player, but also some of the success I had as a coach, because I took a lot of what I learned from him and used it in my game, but I also used it after in my coaching. And uh, so for me, one of the big influences, uh, if not the biggest influence I've had as far as uh, my career goes. 
So I'd like to just keep going on that because I, I, I'll be honest, we had a long time here with Andre Pavlik, who had a very inconsistent time, right? And I was under the impression that maybe a goaltending coach can't make a guy, you know, an all-star or take him up a whole bunch, but he can maybe drag him down a lot. How important, like you said, your, your relationship with Benoit, how important is the relationship or the actual mechanics in a, in, in, as a professional, you know, because you think, you know, you get to that, that point in your career, people think you should know it all or whatever. How important is that direct coaching to a goalie, especially? Well, it's very important. And there's, there's a real balance there. I, I, you know, you're never going to know everything. I, I don't think you ever stop learning. I, I don't feel that when my the day my career ended, I, I, I sure don't feel like I knew everything. And if I had another few years in my career at that point, I would have learned things along the way, uh, you know, and you, and you never stop learning. But you have to also be open to that. And to me, the, the coach-player relationship is really based on trust. You know, you have to know that the coach has your best interest in mind. Yes, you, you have to also be open-minded and, and trust him that, uh, you know, what you're going to work on, the things you're going to do, uh, are going to help you. And uh, there, there's a feeling out period. But for me, when I got to Phoenix, the things that Benoit was saying just made sense to me. And for him, I think he knew that there was a lot more I could give, that there was there was more to my game. And I also knew that uh, I, I should be a better player. So we got each other kind of at the right time. And, uh, and that relationship is really important. It doesn't always work. Um, you know, it's... Uh, it's sort of like a marriage in some ways. You're going to spend a lot of time together. You have to have a lot of trust in each other. And, and you know, for that reason, things can go wrong at times too. But, um, but if you find the right guy who understands your game, it sure makes a huge difference. And how does that go as a goalie? So you're, I, I would imagine that you're kind of like a little bit separate from the rest of the team. So how does that work, in your opinion, with – the rest of the team and a head coach um that would you as a player would a player prefer an x's and o's guy uh, a hard ass you know or a team guy a, you know a player's coach as they say what matters and how much influence does the personality sort of have that's a really good question and you know sometimes i think that it, it really comes down to again the coach the head coach having confidence in his goalie coach because a lot of head coaches they don't want to have to deal with the goaltending they just want to know they can throw the guy out there and uh it's going to be taken care of and so if your goalie coach is somebody that you really have a lot of faith in uh a smart head coach is going to leave most of that up to the goalie coach and and expect his goalies are going to play well i've always found the trouble starts to happen when head coaches get off that page a little bit and and they start to lose faith in their goalie coaches. They lose faith in their goaltending. Um, you know, they start to they start to put a little more pressure. The team feels that the team doesn't have as much confidence in their goaltending. But ultimately, at the end of the day, you have to stop the puck too. In order to build that confidence and that trust, you have to play well. And uh, it, it really, it really, to me, is a dynamic that is extremely important. It's sometimes overlooked in certain organizations. But the ones that do it really well, uh, to me, seem to have the most success. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> it's, it's always curious. You know, we try to get inside the dressing room as much as we can as, as fans. Right. Um, and that stuff is, is, is really interesting, I find. Well, I'll give you, I'll give you a good example of uh, my relationship in, in Arizona. 
really worked well, not just because of Benoit Lair, but Bobby Francis was the head coach. And I don't know that I ever had more than a dozen words with Bobby Francis in the four and a half years that I played with him wow. uh, or played for him. And uh, he had a real trust in me that, uh, that I was going to go out and he would just continue to throw me out there. Um, I, I don't know that he pulled me in four years or four seasons. I'm not sure he pulled me more than two times in wow. all those years. Um, he, he trusted that when I went out there, I would do the job and he trusted Benoit that, we, that Benny would have me ready and the rest was up to me. When I stepped on the ice, I was expected to play well. But I think for a player that has the ability to do that, that's the situation you want to be in. You want to know that the trust is there, that the coach has confidence in you, but you also want to know that uh, you're capable of, of going out and doing the job. And so that, that really worked well because I had a great combination of a head coach and a goalie coach at the right time. And that team was a pretty good team at that time too, right? You guys were competitive and maybe one or two pieces away kind of every year. And you run into Dallas a little bit in St. Louis, right? But you guys had some real good players at that time. We did. We had teams looking back that I think were capable of, of going a long way had we got out of the first round. It was always the first round. We came up against San Jose. They were really strong. They've been a strong team for a lot of years. We played Colorado one year in the first round. They went on to win the Stanley Cup. So yeah. You know, we had the type of teams that were built to play well in the playoffs, and we did play well. We just – we were up against teams that were every bit as good of, as us, if not a little bit better. And had we got by them, uh, we probably could have gone a long ways. Uh, but, again, there's it's so competitive. There's been parity in our league for a long time. It just hasn't been a word or something that's happened in the last couple of years. It's been there for a long time now. Well, what are some of uh, your favorite teams that you were on and some of your favorite players? Uh, either one. I mean, I'd like to talk about both. Yeah, it's, it's again, that's interesting because I, I mean, I'm going to exaggerate here, but I really didn't have too many bad days in the NHL. You know, you went to the rink every day doing something you wanted to do. There were days when obviously you came off a bad night the night before or you were struggling and it, you know, it seemed more like a job than it did some other days. But I really felt I did a pretty good job my whole career of enjoying the process and, it, you know, being not only just there to, to, to play, but enjoying the practice, enjoying the camaraderie with the guys. So I, I really had a lot of good days in the league. And, you know, there were a couple of teams that I played on uh, through no fault of theirs, but, but my own issues where I didn't play well enough to enjoy the game. I didn't feel as confident stepping on the ice as I would have liked to. And that's not a good feeling, especially when you're a goaltender. Stepping onto the ice and not knowing what you're going to get from yourself or what you can expect out of your game is miserable. So there was a, a few periods where I went through that. Um, but again, you, you're going to go through those up and downs and they, they sort of make you and define you because you have to bounce back. You're not going to have somebody at that level at the NHL always patting you on the back or saying it's going to be all right. You're getting paid to do a job and you have to figure it out on your own sometimes. Um, but I, I really do think that I was one of those players that came to the rink every day and was very appreciative and respected the game and enjoyed and enjoyed uh, my time for the most part. So that made me think of uh, the back-to-back -back thing with goalies. Uh, the numbers don't lie. It's not a good situation usually for goalies to play back-to-back. -back. I've always been under the assumption that it's a mental fatigue rather than a physical one. Am, am I right or am I wrong on that one? Well, I, I always like playing back-to-back. -back. I, you know, I felt that um, for me that second night, 
you didn't have to get as warm. You know, you probably didn't skate in the morning. You just showed up to the rink and away you went. And, uh, and for a number of reasons, if you had a bad night, I wanted to get right back on the horse again. And if you had a good night, you could carry that momentum in right away. So I, I never really felt that I struggled back-to-back nights. I thought that the third game in four nights was the one that sometimes could get to you because you usually had a bunch of travel and uh, you rarely play three games in a row at home. So you're traveling at some point there and you just, it's a little more of a grind, but I, I always enjoyed the back-to-backs and, um, you know, I've, I've, uh, I've never really looked or gone back and figured out what my stats were, if there was any stats kept for that. But I, I would have said that uh, just from my memory, um, I felt like I played a lot of my better games on that second night. So I shouldn't, I shouldn't have accused, <laughs> accused you of having bad stats back to back. Traditionally now though, that in the last little while, it's, it's, it's a crazy stat. So I'll trust you that you were, that you were just as hot on the second night as the first night. <laughs> it's awesome. You know, I, I felt a lot of those back to back nights when you stepped up, I felt good because you were already sort of, you felt loose from the night. And uh, it was more of that feeling than me, the results sometimes too. So let's move on to the career adjustment um, because you, when you left the league, you, you went front office, right? And you've done all sorts of different jobs in the front office. How, how has that transition been? First of all. Yeah, it was, well, I, I you know, again, it's never easy. Um, you know, I think that one of the tough things and most people probably, unless you're, um, you know, an athlete, you're not, you're not in the same type of routine uh, as, as regimented as we are for so many years. And you're used to for a long time just sort of being told where you're going to go, what time you need to be there, and you show up and you play, and, uh, and you kind of go through your day like that, and you go through a lot of years that way. And, and so I think the adjustment really comes for guys when all of a sudden they don't have that. They don't have that structure. But you know, I knew from just watching a lot of my teammates and sort of seeing how guys adjusted that I didn't want to wait around too long, play too much golf, get too comfortable in retirement. I wanted to get right back working and get into the game. And so I did that. I went right into it. I, I started out in a, um, a very low position. Uh, I, was, I was a player development guy that sort of made my own schedule, went and watched our junior players play our draft. And slowly started to work myself up in, in the ranks and was, was into coaching. I never really thought I would coach. Don Maloney came to me and asked if I would be interested in doing that. And I did that for a number of years. So uh, really, I, I've been fortunate. But I think that the, the key to anything for me was not uh, sitting around too and waiting and just getting right back into things. I remember watching a hockey wives with uh, Ray Whitney and he, he was going crazy when he had just retired. I remember how, how nuts he was saying it, it was so hard on him. That's uh, I can't imagine the change. So good for you yeah. for recognizing it. Yeah. Again, and I don't know if I recognized it as much as, you know, I, I, I had the experience of playing so long that I saw so many guys retire over those years. And when you see that many guys and then you start to realize, boy, I haven't heard of that guy in a long time or what's that guy doing or I, boy, I don't know if he's still in the game. You realize that a lot of guys want to take time off because they deserve it. They've played a mm-hmm. long time. They, their bodies are beat up. They want to rest, but then you can get comfortable. And, uh, 
there's guys who don't ever work again because they don't need the money. But even those guys, you got to have a reason to get up every day. You got to have a purpose, something to get you excited. And so it doesn't even matter for some of those players that have made uh, fortunes in their lifetime. At some point, they get up in the morning and think to themselves, I, I need to feel like I'm accomplishing something. And that's when it's really difficult if, you, if you've waited too long. I saw your tweet uh, with the salaries the other day. <laughs> and you were lucky to play a little bit in both eras. So I think uh, you, I hope you feel like you got what you deserved by the end of your career. Cause at the beginning, uh, I think you guys are pretty underpaid. So, <laughs> well, you know, I think that the one thing I recognized, you know, all through my career was, yeah, I was very lucky. I hit, I hit the, the era when money started to get better and salaries escalated. But I think every generation a player can look back and look at the generation that came after and see the way the salaries have escalated. You know, I, I really respected those guys when I broke into the league who had played in the air where the money just wasn't and never did get big. And yet they played a lot of years. They came to the rink every day. for the, They loved the game. They played hard. I'm sure some nights they sit around and, and, and wish they had played in an air where they made more money. But we're all lucky that we got to do something we love to do and get paid for it. Um, you know, I, I think every one of us would say we would have played for less, uh, you know, and, and still enjoyed the game. Um, but uh, it, it's all part of business. And, uh, and there, are, there are players out there that definitely get what they deserved. And there's, there's other guys that were really, really well paid and probably made more than they should have. But that's, uh, that's what happens in a business like, like sports. So maybe this is a bad segue. That would lead me to uh, the 2018 uh, Olympic team because you had a bunch of guys that were playing Olympics, pro players, but not, not NHL guys, right? I would say that's got to be the ultimate outside of a playing career is to, is to have a hand in, a, in an Olympic team. Like that's, you must feel just incredible about being able to do that and then the results and seeing it all come together. Yeah, I was very honored to be asked. For me, it was um, it was full circle, really, because I had broke in to the NHL after coming out of the Olympics. So I had such a fond experience. I was very lucky to play international hockey at the level I did. I played in an era when the best players in the world, uh, a lot of them weren't in the NHL. The The Russian players and a lot of the Swedish players hadn't been able to come over yet. So at 18 years old, I, I was playing against Fedosov and Larianov and guys, and uh, the Czechs had great players. So those Olympics and those times were, you know, unique. Um, looking back, at, at that time, it was normal. So for me to, all these years later, to get a chance to go back to the Olympics as the general manager, having to put together a team that was made up very similar to those teams, um, you know, was, was for me very personally gratifying. Of course, I would have loved to win a gold medal. I would have been loved to have been a part of that. Not necessarily for me as, as much for those players. They, they're guys that had worked so hard. A lot of them had short NHL careers. Some of them had a cup of coffee in NHL. But this was for them one of the greatest experiences they were ever going to have, putting on that jersey and representing Canada in the Olympics. So they, they took it in a credible pride in it, as I did, and everybody associated with that team. Um, meddling and winning a bronze medal was not the ultimate goal, but something everybody can look back on proudly. And uh, another, another thing that I can say in my career, I've been very fortunate to have the opportunity to do.
So other than you coming to goalie coach or GM, the Winnipeg Jets, which would be on my bucket list, what's, uh, <laughs> what's, what's your bucket list? What's next for you? What, what are your goals? So I, I don't know if I have what I'd say is a, an ultimate goal bucket list. I, again, was up for general manager interviews uh, last summer, had the, had the opportunity to interview in Edmonton, interview in Seattle. Um, but again, it's, uh, it's a very competitive world out there. And uh, I think ultimately for me, I want to contribute to a team having a chance to win a Stanley Cup. I didn't get to win one as a player. I think there's things I can offer that make organizations better. And I'd like to be in an organization where I work with some people that, uh, that have that goal to win a Stanley Cup. And right now I'm still part of Montreal's organization. Um, you know, we've had uh, a real uh, build here in the last couple of years where we're starting to have a lot of good prospects and an opportunity to watch these players develop. So I'm not sure where that goes from here. But uh, ultimately, that's I think everybody's goal is to be a part of a Stanley Cup winning team. Well, that sounds like a pretty great, <laughs> pretty good way to put it. Um, I know we're getting close to wrapping up here. Who are some of your favorite teammates who are some guys that you spend time with still went from when you were playing? I see a lot of guys um, in the ranks. I, I stay in touch with, uh, you know, a few players more than others. Um, Scott Mellenby and I worked together in Montreal. We were teammates. We go back to world junior together. Um, right. We've been friends a long time. We grew up in Toronto. Uh, both of us, although we didn't really know each other as kids, we kind of knew each other's names and, uh, Brendan Shanahan and I were roommates in uh, New Jersey for a couple of years. We still stay in touch. Um, Mark Jansons is a guy that I played with in Hartford that I became fairly close with and uh, stay in touch with. But Shane Doan and I see each other. We we uh, we got to work on a Spangler Cup team together this year, and uh, and you know I, I I have a lot of guys in the game that I have a lot of respect for that that had great careers or really good people and. Uh, I think that that's one thing our sport has done a great job of is, um, you know, we, we have a great game. You, you guys know what a great game it is, but there's a lot of great people in it too. And I've been fortunate to, uh, to remain friends with a lot of them. And who, even if they play for Montreal, who's your favorite player to watch now? Well, there's, there's some incredible players. Austin Matthews is a lot of fun to watch. You know, Connor McDavid's a guy I've had a chance to work with, uh, World Junior Team, World Championships. I, I, I could sit and watch him in practice all day long, let alone even game starts. There's just – there's so much skill now with the young players. And uh, Ovechkin's always exciting to watch. A guy that can score that many goals in this day and age, uh, I know people appreciate it, and I know he gets a lot of, um, you know, respect for people really can understand how – difficult it is to score he's been able to consistently do it right through when when you know this game is is got faster it's got stronger it's got younger and yet he's a guy so I have a lot of respect for a lot of players it, it's the young guys Marner's exciting and I could go on and on it's it's a great game because the skill level has continued to get bigger and, and better well Sean I think uh we'll try and let you go grab your dinner uh thanks a lot Sean and uh Wish you all the best and everything you do going forward. We appreciate having you. Thank you, guys. And, you know, good luck to you. I'm sure you'll enjoy the, the hockey when it starts up here at Winnipeg. It's going to be exciting for them. And uh, I'd, I'd come on anytime. So thanks for having me. We really appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot. Okay, guys. Take care.
I'm Kurt Gilback, and thank you for listening to the Jet Centric Broadcast. <laughs>